1: Hello and welcome to On The Ledge episode 138 And this week we're keeping the Aspidistra flying you're a new listener. My name is Jane Perrone. I like houseplants and I'm not ashamed of it. How the devil are you? I hope you are continuing to thrive and survive during this weird scenario of lockdown that we remain in or perhaps some of you are being eased out of lockdown right now. Well all I can say is lucky you. But you know what? We've got our plants, we've got our leaves to look at, and that makes life okay. In this episode, I meet Philip Ostenbrink, the national collection holder of two different species of Aspidistra, the Victorian favourite that we should all be growing. I answer a question about watering snake plants, and we meet listener Rose. Yes, another listener called Rose, a different one from before. Thank you to everyone who has signed up to be a houseplant buddy on the thread that you'll find on the Houseplant Fans of On The Ledge Facebook group. There are lots of people there who are looking for somebody to chat to about their plants. All you need to do to get involved is put a comment on that thread or perhaps if you see someone else who shares interests or perhaps geographical location with you, then add a reply to their comment and you can team up and have a chat. It might be via Facebook, Messenger, email, Zoom. It's really up to you, but it's not too late to join in. So if you're feeling a bit bored, lonely, or fed up during lockdown, then this is a great way of livening up your life. If you are not on Facebook and want to get involved, don't worry, you still can. Just send a note to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com, letting me and Kelly, my assistant, know roughly what You're into and where you're at, and we will add a comment on your behalf. And it'd be really great to make sure that everybody or as many people as possible are paired up with somebody else who wants to chat with them. So do go and have a look at that thread if you haven't done already, and don't be shy because you know what? Plant people are lovely people. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, of course, so you can click through easily enough and find it. If, on the other hand, you'd like to tell the whole Listenership of On the Ledge about who you are, then Meet the Listener is for you. You can drop a line to the same email on the ledge podcast at gmail.com and Kelly will send you some instructions on how to take part. And that's exactly what Rose did. Let's hear from her now.
2: Hi, I'm Rose from the Netherlands. I was really raised with plants and animals but I first really got into plants myself when I had a burnout a few years ago and one of the things that really gave me some solace, some feeling of accomplishment and usefulness was taking care of my plant babies. Since then, I started making YouTube videos about plants and about the amazing plants in my area. I live right in the center of all the greenhouses here in Holland, which is really, really fun. And I listen to podcasts and have an Instagram. I'm full of planty learning. I love it. I still feel like I am a plant beginner, but I am learning so much from you, Jane. So thank you so much for all the cool episodes. Question
1: one. There's a fire and all your plants are about to burn. Which one do you grab as you escape?
2: I guess I'd have to pick Casper, my Florida ghost. He's such an easy grower and he's beautiful and all my other plants I love as well, but Casper has... A special place in my heart. I won him in an Instagram giveaway right in the beginning of my plant aeroid adventure, and he's just beautiful with the white leaves and the pink petioles. I love him.
1: Question two: What is your favorite episode of On the Ledge?
2: My favorite episode of On the Ledge is episode sixty-one. Even though I love a lot of the episodes and I've learned a lot about them, but sixty-one is the one about grow lights with Leslie Hellick. I've listened to it several times, actually, and I've bought some little measurement tools from it, and I'm really understanding a lot better why certain plans are doing well in my house and why others were not doing well and now are finally improving because they're getting more light. So thanks so much to Leslie. I love her. I even bought her book after listening to that episode.
1: Question three. Which Latin name do you say to impress people?
2: The Latin name that I like to say is actually Elocasia Micholiziana Freidek, because he here, at least in Holland, a lot of people are calling the green version freideck when, in fact, the green version of that plant is the Michaelitziana, and the variegated version is the Michaelitziana freideck <laughs> So I might be a little bit annoying to people with that, but I like to be correct in my use of Latin, so I like to use that one. Question
1: four. Crassulation acid metabolism or glutation?
2: Crassulation acid metabolism... <laughs> I had to Google that one actually before answering this question. I'm choosing guttation because I love aeroids. I have basically only aeroids in my house. And I found out that crash acid metabolism is more for succulents and cacti, which I'm not very good at taking care of. So <laughs> definitely picking guttation.
1: Question five. Would you rather spend £200 on a variegated monstera or £200 on 20 interesting cacti?
2: Even though this is not a popular opinion, I would pick them Monstera. Because I don't like cacti, I cannot keep them alive, and I'd prefer to have a really, really big, beautiful Monstera. I have several cuttings that are doing quite well but not great, so it would be really cool to have a really big one. Especially now that they're becoming a little bit more affordable here in Holland, you would definitely be able to buy a huge one for this money, so...
3: I
1: love the fact that the Florida ghost is called Casper. What an inspired choice of name. Thank you, Rose. Nice to meet you. And welcome to new Patreon subscribers, Jian Liung, Desiree, Sarah, and Kaylee, who all became legends this week. And thanks to Andy, who upped his pledge from crazy plant person to legend. Check the show notes at janeperone.com for details of how to join the merry band of Patreon subscribers. And if that isn't your bag, then you can give a one-off donation via ko ficom or PayPal. Those links are also in the show notes. Leave me a review on your pod app of choice or maybe just tell a friend about On The Ledge who's in need of some lockdown listening. I had a few interesting emails in response to midweek bonus number five, the question about shopping at big box stores, which I wanted to share with you. One of the messages came from a listener who works at one of the plant farms that supplies the big box stores of America. And this person who wants to remain anonymous for perfectly understandable reasons said that the amount of plastics, chemicals and plants that are disposed of would make your stomach turn. Sometimes we throw out tons of perfect plants simply because the company changes its mind. And so their message is this. Please use social media to create a socially distanced plant swap. Then you would have friends to swap with in person later. So thank you to that anonymous listener who got in touch. It's interesting to hear how much wastage there is in this industry of mass house plant production. And it's something I'm hoping to come back to in a future sustainability episode. And another listener got in touch to say that some of the big box stores do have people who are in charge of the plants, but they're usually rushed off their feet and unable to keep up with the demand for care for these plants. I'm sure that's correct for some of them. I know that in the UK, places like Wilkinson's, which I guess, would you call that a big box store? I'm not sure, but it's a, a store that sells all kinds of things, including plants and gardening equipment. And I know that they're, well, certainly in my local branch and and many other branches that I've heard reports from, there is nobody to look after the plants. So it really does vary. So do your research if you can. And as I said before, let's keep supporting our specialist growers because they are doing a wonderful job. Long time listeners to the show will know that I am a big fan of the Aspidistra. So I was delighted when Philip Ostenbrink, who is the national collection holder for Aspidistra alasio and Aspidistra sishuanensis cultivars in the UK. He's also head gardener at Canterbury Cathedral, so he's a very busy man. I was lucky enough to be able to visit his place in Kent and check out his Aspidistra collection. Oh, and meet Marvel the Cat, who makes a bit of an appearance in this episode. This was recorded before the lockdown back in early March, so we weren't breaking any rules. And of course, for the moment, Philip's national collection remains closed to visitors. But hopefully sometime in the future, he will again be able to provide tours of his collection on request and by arrangement. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the details for getting in touch with Philip. You can find Philip on Twitter as Philip with one L H G C C. And I'll include all of the relevant links in the show notes if you're short of a pen. As always, this episode comes with a health warning, or rather a wallet warning, that I am totally not responsible for causing you to add to your plant wish list via listening to this show. I'm afraid it's one of the perils of On The Ledge. Right, are you ready to go down an Aspidistra rabbit hole? Let's go. Philip Osenbrink, we're here in your front room with a... Array of Aspidistras around us What could be better? I, as regular listeners to my show Will testify I'm always going on about Aspidistras And Mm. how they're underrated And we should all be growing more of them So I think you're on the same page with
3: me uh, On this
1: (laughs) Tell me about uh, your Aspidistra collection And and how this all started
3: Um, Well, I've got the national collection Of uh, Aspidistra, Elatia And also Situenensis But I've got a huge uh, collection anyway because I've got loads of other ones that aren't within my uh, national collection but it started with one plant I found in, um, in the deanery uh, greenhouse in one of the cold frames actually because I always thought there was just a green one mm. um, but uh, in the deanery where I work they have uh, they had a variegated one which I thought was very unusual and then I started looking into it a bit more and see what other kinds of aspergistery were and I discovered it there are about 175 species alone. So uh, yeah, that's why I started getting interested.
1: So your national collection, how many different, uh, well, there's a term for it, isn't it? There's a plant heritage term. Is it uh, what well, each unit of? the taxa. A taxa, yeah. It, it, how many have you got?
3: Um, I've, within my um, Elatio collection, I've got 22. Mm-hmm. Um Siculenses, I've got 16. But um, outside the collection, I think I've got about 60 different Aspidistras.
1: Oh wow! Okay, so that's a fair number. Um, favorites are always. I can hear your cat in the back. you yeah, cat's having Marvel the cat is having a good munch on his <laughs> breakfast at the moment, which is probably good because I'm allergic to cats. So um, yeah, but that's making me You're laugh. So me that. Out, be... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. Uh, it's all it's all going on here. It's like naming your favorite child, but is there one that really is your favorite? I mean, I'm looking at this beautiful variegated form up here, which is. Kind of almost half... I mean, this is a very Instagram-worthy plant, isn't it? It's got half-white, half-green leaves. Um, yeah. yeah. Tell me, one, is that a favourite, or am I just imposing my interest um, on you? It is a
3: very rare one. Um, it's called equinox, so it is half-green, half-white leaf. It's very difficult oh, wow. to get, um, but it's also very difficult to keep, so in that sense it's not really my favourite because <laughs> it tends to revert, so it's not a very stable cultivar. Oh, okay. Um, so these are just the two leaves. as is how I got it from the nursery. Um <laughs> I've, yeah, I've got so many. There's one uh, called Morning Frost, for instance, which is uh, under the Equinox one. And it comes up green with a tiny yellow stripe. Uh, but as the leaf matures, it sort of gets this mottled white and it becomes whiter and whiter. And I do like the ones that sort of change color after a while. Because some of the, uh, especially the elastias, they come up in a certain color, mm-hmm. green maybe. And will then uh, fade to to white or stripy, all sorts of things. Yeah, so. I
1: mean, I've got a couple, and I've been a bit disappointed. I, I guess I, my expectations were for something like the look like that. I mean, it, obviously they weren't that, that particular cultivar, but I was hoping for really dramatic variegation. And so far, they haven't shown much variegation. I'm wondering if I'm not giving them enough light, or yeah. if because I I kind of have done the classic aspidistra thing of sticking them in the darkest part of my house because they'll be okay there. Yeah. Is that a mistake?
3: well the variegated ones uh, particularly could do with a bit more light to uh, to get that variegation in there. Um, one that is sold as variegata uh, quite often is very unstable so you can get variegated leaves with one year you might get one that is more green than white other years you get uh, loads of uh, white in the leaves so um, you won't always get the same uh, right. kind of pattern um, but yeah giving them a bit more light helps and what I find especially with the variegated ones is keep them outside during summer if you can mm, and uh, mm. they tend to really bulk up and get much bigger
1: <laughs> here comes Marvel. <laughs> uh, cats know that i'm allergic to them i swear to god they really do <laughs> and well behind us i'm just going to blow my nose because as ever i've got a cold i, I swear it's not coronavirus it's just a bog standard cold we've got the oh the cats going outside. are you going to go outside now marvel i think it might be better Oh, oh no. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not going out there, I just want to make a noise I want to be on a podcast, please Behind you, you've got the wonderful variegated form Which has got splashes of cream all over the leaves Like yeah. a constellation What's that one called? Is that, a, is that a Sichuan one or is that a, an Aladdin?
3: That, that is a Sichuanensis yeah. um, That one, it's it spots all over the leaf And uh, quite a lot of spots as well uh, It's one I got from America actually last August um, I went there on a, an RHS and Plant Heritage Bursary and uh, went to Plant Delights Nursery, which is like the Aspidistra warhalla really is <laughs> amazing. Plant Delights,
1: where's that?
3: Yeah. Uh, North Carolina. Oh wow, yeah. okay. Um,
1: They're big
3: Aspidistra growing. Aspidistra and loads of other things as well, but they okay. have a huge collection of Aspidistra. Um, and this was one that they had named uh, Walk Drive.
1: Warp drive, love it. There's a
3: Star Trek. fan. you have to have that one. (laughs) That one is
1: on the list. I can see that completely. And how does it work? Bringing a plant back from the states—is that? Do you just? Is it? How tricky is
3: that? Uh, well, it's not tricky if you've got the right paperwork. Oh,
1: so you just need the phytosanitary certificate. <laughs> yes, yeah, of
3: course you, you need should, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, At the time, I could um, still bring them back in my suitcase with the phytosanitary right. declaration. Mm-hmm. Um, they managed to do that within the week I was there, which was really good. Yeah. Um, but nowadays you can't anymore, so you have to have them properly sent and they have to go through customs right. to be checked and everything. Um, but yeah last year you uh, you were still allowed to bring them in mm-hmm. in your suitcase with a decoration though of course not you had to have them. it you
1: had to have walk drive I mean that's yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's amazing that's a great plant and uh why is it that aspergistras aren't more popular is it because they're slow growing and they just I mean when you do see them for sale they're quite expensive still compared yeah. to say a spathiphyllum of a similar size you're paying a lot more
3: yeah, well, they are slower growing, of course, and uh, most houseplants, really. Um, I think that is one of the reasons that they are so slow growing. Um, they're sort of testing microprop a bit as well, so that might push the price down a bit. Um, we're looking into that. Actually, some of my plants um, oh, really? have been sent out to be tested to, uh, if they are stable on microprop. Um, yeah, so that would be... Uh, so that,
1: When you say microprop, can you just explain what you mean there?
3: Um, it's tissue culture, so you get a few cells from the plant, and um, from those cells you make... Uh, more plants and uh, you can get quite a few uh, like thousands out of not many cells right uh, right uh, it's it's a quick way to uh, to do that but the problem is that not all plants um, respond to it very well so you can sometimes do microprop but they might not be identical to uh, to the mother plant you had Mm. so yeah that might uh, help it's funny though because if you um, read any house plant book from sort of the 1800s to even the latest uh, books, it just every single one says that they're coming back into fashion. Yeah. <laughs> they they're must still sort of always be around. <laughs> and, uh... you know, it's
1: interesting, isn't it? I'm looking at old photos of Victorian ladies with their aspidistras and um, just I think that's a brilliant thing to um, to look back on, and uh, you yeah. know, and I interviewed somebody on the podcast who had a plant which has been around for, you know, he, he's documented to have been around for over a hundred years. So, yeah. you know, once you've got one, even yeah. if it's expensive, hopefully it will last for a. Oh, it will long last. Time.
3: You can hardly kill them, really. It's uh, overwatering is one of those things you need to be careful of. So, uh, rather keep them a bit drier than uh, too wet because they will just rot away. Um, sometimes people get put off by the ground tips on the leaves, but that it, yeah, you just need to mist them or um, mm. keep them in a high humidity area um, and they'll be all right then. But, yeah, that's one of the things. But.
1: My asper so far, they've been fine, but they've kind of been in stasis. They haven't really been growing that much. So obviously they are slow growing, but what's the best way of getting them to put out new leaves? Is there any? Is it just maybe giving them a bit more light than you might imagine?
3: Um, yeah, probably a bit more light. Um, also a light feed. I wouldn't overfeed them with anything mm. um yeah, just a light feed like once a year maybe uh, they tend to start growing their leaves um, around january february so uh, that's when they uh, they do it uh, but again um, i'm preparing for hampton court uh, flower show for next year with the display and the plants i've kept outside in a, a poly tunnel like a little shade tunnel uh, they've just sh- shot up and they've done so well so mm-hmm. it might just be if you've got one and you think it was struggling a bit if you have a shady place outside, just leave it there for the summer and uh, just leave it outside. Um, although you could leave it all year because they're very hardy, but uh, yeah, that tends to give them a bit of a boost. Mm. they mm-hmm. like that if they're outside. A
1: holiday, that's that. Uh, a holiday yeah. does us all good. Um, what about the potting mix for these plants? Are they, are they fussy, just regular houseplant compost, or should we be adding all kinds of
3: extras? Uh, they're not fussy at all, no. Um, I, personally, I use um, coconut coir, uh, so the uh, coconut core. Uh, which is peat free, so they don't really need a peat compost at all. Um, I give them a bit of sequestration of iron or tomerite, something like that, just to give them uh, a bit of feed because, yeah, of course, the, the compost is only a medium, so you can add any feed to that you mm. like, or mm. even miracle grow if you want. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, that's how I grow them. But quite an airy compost, you don't want anything sort of sandy or anything mm-hmm. too dense because uh, they just won't like that. They like air around their roots because otherwise they'll just rot
1: right okay well that is all top tips and i'm hoping i'll be able to get mine a bit uh, growing a little bit better are there any cultivars that you still haven't got in your collection that you're seeking after in all strange um, corners of the globe are there any other ones i mean that that white and green one is is pretty outstanding is there anything else that's out there still to uh, be got? the
3: white and green one was actually one that i was looking for and uh, have managed to get um Generally, not really. No, I think I've got most of the ones documented. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would like to do, though, is um, if I can get to Japan and see what kind of old cultivars they have, um, if there's anything around there. There's one called um, Amanogawa. apparently. The, the original Amanogawa only has um, spots. There is one being sold at the moment, which has got stripes and spots. Um, it's called Amanogawa, but, um, yeah, it turns out that there is another one which is okay. different. So I'd really love to go to Japan and see what kind of old cultivars they have there and also compare. So see these English cultivar names, are they actually the original cultivar names or is it just something that's been put on for the trade?
1: <laughs> well, as is so often the case. Yeah. Um, and we think of these plants as foliage plants, but they do
3: flower. They do, yes.
1: Tell me a bit about the flowers because they're slightly
3: strange. <laughs> they're very overworldly, yeah. It's like an avatar. You know? it's, uh, they, they're at the base of the plant and there's sort of this star shape sort of purplish um the elati have got a bit of yellow in there as well but some of the other uh, species like situinenses are much darker So they've got these dark purple flowers but the flower actually determines the species so if you just have two aspidistras just with leaves you can't generally tell which species it is right um, but you need the flower to determine the species so what does a stigma look like there is this myth which you can't get rid of that they are pollinated by slugs but it's just simply not true yeah <laughs> so, i
1: remember um my friend robbie blackwell miles talking about this um and say and is am I, I i'm in my mind i'm remembering that he was talking about fungus gnats or yeah, small the flies, flies small flies yeah being the, the, the flower
3: evolved to look like a mushroom, basically. Right. And uh, fungus nets pollinate them. And if you open up a flower, because for identification, you sometimes have to cut a flower in half, um, then you can really tell that slugs would never pollinate them because they'd have to eat through the stigma to get to the pollen. So they couldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't make any sense.
1: Oh, how interesting. Um, I mean, I guess probably you won't be growing them just for the quality
3: of the flowers, but they're kind of a curious extra.
1: And do they flower every year? How often can you expect to get...
3: Um, they can wow. flower every year, but it tends, they tend to flower on plants that have been recently split, split or have got space in the pot. Because right. um, I quite often hear um, people say, I've got this aspidistra which has been in my family for a million years <laughs> or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, and it has never flowered. And mm-hmm. it is quite often because they're so pot-bound, and I think that is one of the reasons they don't, uh, they don't flower okay. then. So uh, quite often when I buy plants, of course they have quite often recently been potted up or something, and yeah, they flower. And uh, especially the ilatio flowers can be quite big. They can mm-hmm. sort of be the diameter of a 10p coin. So. Oh, wow.
1: That's quite a lot. Yeah, that's quite big. I always think of them as being really tiny. And uh, so do you ever sort of go to an elderly... Or I'm always looking at people's windows, through people's windows as you're walking around. Do you ever kind of like spot something through a window and go, oh, my gosh, that's a really... You know, for, so suddenly see an aspidistra in some unexpected <laughs> setting. I, I find often like country national trust properties will have like yeah. a massive aspidistra. Yeah. I find myself being a bit of an aspidistra spotter. I'm sure that's the same for you.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is, and especially the uh, the variegated ones because um, to have a big variegated aspidistra, yeah, that is that's quite nice as well. And you don't often see them that size. Mm. You quite mm. often see the, the normal green one of a decent size, um, but the variegated ones, yeah, they, they take a bit longer, of course, as well. And People have to look after them for years for them to bulk up like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that is a I'm, yes. I'm always looking out for interesting uh, things, and yeah, I've got a sort of a photo archive of weird plants in in stately homes yes. that I want to, <laughs> that I want to get my yeah, hands it's on. It's funny as well because,
3: <laughs> um, of course, with the national collection of aspidistra, you also have a national collection of uh, Victorians posing with aspidistras. Ah, uh, so okay, got all those you've photographs. got photos. But people oh, send brilliant. me photographs like. Um, a lady from Plant Heritage sent me a picture from Venice where she was standing next to an aspidistra. Brilliant. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, that's you get that great. as well, so it's quite nice. People do have this affinity with asperdista quite often. They, oh, my grandmother used to have them, and uh, it's just been one of those plants that quite a lot of people have seen before, and mm. uh, yeah, that's what I enjoy about it as well. It's Apart from the plants being beautiful, it's also the history about them and how the Victorians love to grow them, and uh, yeah, that, that also attracts me in mm. these plants.
1: Mm. Do you have people coming to visit the National Collection? Do you have, do, can you have, can you can somebody make an appointment with you to come yeah, and look at Asperdistras, yeah. is that how it works?
3: Um, yeah it is, um, if, with Plant Heritage and National Collections you, um, well, you don't have to open up for the public but quite often yeah, you want to show your plants as well. Um, one thing I'm doing that with is uh, when I open my garden for the National Garden Scheme I have my aspidistra collection on display in the, the living room. Um, But if people want to come and see my national collection, then, um, yeah, they can find my name on the Plant Heritage website and the address and details and can just give me a ring. Great. Well,
1: I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Shall we go and have a look at some greenhouse plants? Is that okay? Shall we wander? I'm just going to pick up this recorder and let's have a look. What do your neighbours think? <laughs> They're probably like, this man know. has a lot of plants.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, this is all lawn originally. Oh,
1: yeah, you've, you've enhanced.
3: Yeah. Well, the front garden as well. Yeah,
1: it? that's right. Yeah, you can always tell a plant person because their front garden's full of plants yeah, as well. Normally
3: this is all jungly and, uh, and yeah, dense, and Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. for winter, a lot of it is in the garage.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is interesting. What's this? I don't recognise that at uh, all.
3: It's a um, uh, pseudopanax.
1: Oh, OK. It's
3: got, yeah, I love know, that variegation. Like yeah, the yeah. Brown one yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's related to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. A friend of mine in the village has a national collection of them. <laughs> <laughs> you want to step Yeah,
1: I'm going to go into the. The it's a small space, but um, <laughs> you've got a lot of aspidistras in here. Yeah. Just going to sniff that greenhouse smell. Lovely. <laughs> Love a greenhouse smell. So we've got loads more here. And yeah, they're
3: mainly in here because I had a bit of a spider mite problem. Oh, okay. Um, and to do something against spider mite, you up the humidity and I've yep. put some predators on it as well, yep. um, so yeah that's why they're in here uh, humidity in the greenhouse is quite high especially with all the rain we've had, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah there's some um, really nice old cultivars in here and um, uh, some of the ones that I brought back from America as well in there, so some of the situanenses mainly,
1: yeah Yeah. and this and is a nice yeah. lots
3: of irrigation on this one so that is um, what I mentioned before that is the, uh, what is sold as a ah, right, Yeah. so it's got stripes and spots and uh, Amanogawa is the Japanese name for Milky Way and quite often right. if you see a spotted asperdistra for sale it's quite often labeled as Milky Way uh, yes. but that's not really the correct name anymore they've, uh, they've okay. named that ginger now uh, but the original Milky Way is, uh, is this one here so it's got the stripes and the spots and quite a lot of variegation on there oh. um, yeah it's i'm really trying to uh, bulk that up a bit but it's very slow growing of course, because of all the white <laughs> I was <gonna laughs> say, there's
1: not actually that much green there no, is there, there but by the time there. you've got those splashes of, of cream and then the cream stripes that's not a lot of chlor- chlorophyll in there no, is no, it at, at all no. at all
3: this should out a bit more green really.
1: yeah yeah um, and, and do you have do you ever have any aspidistras in the ground uh, like over if you yeah. have the plain green elati or could that be in the ground in a sheltered spot the, uh,
3: yeah any of the elati or recitunensis and quite a lot of the other ones can uh, can just go in the in the ground they're very hardy mm. um Elatia and Citunensis species are hardy to about mi- minus 15 minus 20 right um, but i've got another one called uh, one fat lady oh, and, uh, yeah i
1: saw that at chelsea on <laughs> yeah, the display and that's chelsea. hardy
3: to minus 25 so very hardy wow. the only thing is they don't like it wet so i tend to grow mm. them maybe as ground cover under a pot uh, in a pot I mean and just uh, yeah, to try to, uh, to keep them like that because they're better drained then so they don't rot away yeah but, um, yeah. yeah they're doing really well you can just leave them outside no
1: yeah. problem at all yeah
3: gets rid of the bugs <laughs>
1: yeah well that's right and I suppose spider mite probably is the major pest of these it is yeah
3: spider and mite is uh,
1: do you have any secret top tips other than increasing humidity
3: um uh, well what I do I spray with um SB invigorator
1: Yep, the uh, wonderful. So, yeah, that's really good stuff <laughs> because
3: uh, I don't want to uh, don't have to put any chemicals on it really, so uh, it's all uh, organic um, or biological control through um, these little sachets that are hanging on the. Uh,
1: yeah, the I wanted as to well. ask you about these sachets. So this is a biological control. Is it a mite? Is it another mite? That.
3: Uh, yeah, it is another. Um Predator, predator yeah. mite that, uh, that eats uh, the spider mites. And um, this is one that you can put in lower temperatures as well. It's, right. uh, uh, yeah, it, it does, uh, yeah, should do the trick. At least it'll knock it down a bit. And yeah. uh, hopefully, eventually, I'll get
0: over
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I mean, how does that work in terms of, could you use that in the house as well as outside? I'm yeah, just wondering can. about them yeah. kind of. Wandering off and and not uh, not
3: do, being in the right place. <laughs> no, no, they they will stick to the uh, to the plantery yeah. where the food is, of course. So yeah. they won't go off and um, yeah, go somewhere where there are no spider mites. This right. particular one is one that. Um, also lives off pollen so if you haven't got spider mite then at least uh, they can survive on uh, on Boy, pollen as well okay, for a while okay. um, but it's a good one and um, yeah you can use them indoors it's not like you have loads of bugs then suddenly they're, they're tiny they're about the size of a normal spider mite even mm, so yeah it's, mm. It's not worse than having spider mites in your home, really. Is it? <laughs>
1: but so those, those mites, once they've done the job and the spider mites gone, presumably they will then die off because there isn't anything for them to eat.
3: Yeah, unless you've got uh, something with pollen or okay, something, something in flour, yeah. uh, then they will uh, continue. But yeah, if you have another infestation, you'll probably have to repeat uh, right. the treatment.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's great to be able to, to use these sort of non-chemical methods to control things. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely that's... worth looking into and are are people sort of do you find that other people are getting really into these rare and unusual aspidistras and kind of um, trying to swap things with you and I mean is there a a market for these very rare ones in the way that there's a market for the variegated monster and all that no
3: definitely there's um I'm actually running an Aspedistra European group on uh, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly set it up to be European because then you can uh, swap around uh, mm-hmm. with uh, with everyone as well. Uh, but there are some very popular ones. There's one uh, which is in the trade as uh, chromatographic, which is actually called Kimboshi. I've got one indoors. But it's got spots, but it's got this aura around the spot as well. And um, yeah, they sell nine centimeter pots for 40 to 50 pounds Mm. because they're so Mm. sought after those. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I guess again, it's the the propagation. How do, how, is it just division on these ones? Is that the the only way you're gonna be?
3: Yeah, it's just division and uh, it's quite easy. You just take it out of the pot um you can clearly see the rhizomes and if you uh, find a bit that's got a bit of root on it as mm-hmm. well snap that off and uh, just pop that up it's, it's very easy and i've done mm-hmm. it any time of year i even do it in the middle of summer if i mm-hmm. need to mm-hmm.
1: yeah and but i guess it's uh, the more you do that the, the smaller your original plant <laughs> yeah it's not going to be a massively uh you're not going to end up with loads no, can, no. can you can you? What's the seed situation though? I mean, can you ever get Aspidistra? I've never th- seen Aspidistra seed.
3: They they tend to um, only produce seed when they're out in the ground. Right. And, um, when I was in the US, they did have some seedlings there as well. Um, but yeah in this country it just won't happen no, yeah, they just won't, yeah. uh, won't set seed
1: i asked because we're just doing our annual um so along on the podcast where we're talking discussing um growing house plants from seed so i'm thinking right. about everything in terms of oh can you grow that from seed and it's just interesting what plants can and can't um you know be you know you can get the seed or you can't get the seed so that's no, just I've, an interesting i've never one. seen
3: Asperdista seed for sale oh, okay it's, that's
1: uh, yeah that's fair enough very unusual well i guess that's why again another reason why it's you know if you could buy seed then you'd be Producing loads of plants and the yeah. price might be a bit <laughs> cheaper.
3: Yeah, they're not um, uh, stable from seed either, though, so you mm. will get different plants okay. quite often, right. uh, Which could be good in a way, but on the other hand, yeah, how many uh, do we need that us just got this tiny little different stripe? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I can see what you're saying. I'm I'm also being drawn to this one here, which is I mean, yeah. you can tell I'm a man on variegation. Uh, this is a rather beautiful variegation with the sort of uh, different levels of minty green stripes and cream. What's that one called?
3: That one is called Mangatsu, And uh, that is one of uh, the very old Japanese original cultivars. Oh, wow. And okay. um, it comes up, this is one of those that changes colour. So it comes up with these green leaves and then eventually the white will fade and they right. can fade to almost completely, wo- uh, sorry the green will fade and it will fade to almost uh, completely white mm. and um, yeah it's got s- uh, some spots as well but yeah that's a very old Japanese cultivar and those are the ones that I'm really looking for so to get original Japanese selections because that's where they uh, they grew them so much and that's where they did all those selections
1: And are the Japanese still Aspidistra crazy? They're still into them?
3: Um, Well, one lady I spoke to who is Japanese said uh, it's called this uh, uh, toilet plant because they have a lot of outdoor toilets uh, in the older (laughs) buildings and apparently it was always next to the toilet.
1: (laughs) Right, Okay. I like that. Yeah, I guess guess that's true. But some people are
3: still enthusiastic and there are still uh, good collectors there
1: oh that's great well it's really nice to see your national collection and um yeah long may the aspergistra reign and it's not going anywhere is it it's going to be around for forever so um yeah, coming you know, back
3: into fashion <laughs> yeah less it's
1: coming as it has been for the last however many years <laughs> Thanks so much to Philip for showing off his awesome collection of Aspidistras. And now it's time for question of the week, which comes from Cape Cod Quaza Quazza on Instagram. Great Instagram handle there. And Cape Cod, as I'll call them for short, is a total noob to houseplants. And they've got a Sansevieria zeylanica in a six inch wide by four inch deep pot. And Kate God writes, I know they only need water about bi-weekly, if even that, but I don't know how much they need at a time. Help. What a great question, because I think this is one of the misconceptions about watering, that you can look at a plant and say, "Okay, I'm going to give it a mug full of water every week on the same day at the same time, and that way it will stay nice and hydrated. But what it's easier to forget when you're a beginner is that the amount of water that a plant needs will change according to the conditions, what the plant's up to, and of course what potting mix you've put it into. So this Sansevieria Zelanica, which is the plain green mottled form of the snake plant. The genus has actually changed to Dracaena zelanica, but I'm not sure I can quite cope with that yet. Uh, it's a lovely plant. Uh, it does need regular watering during the growing season, as Cape Cod has pointed out. But how do you know how much to give it? Well, the one way to make sure that you're never over-watering a plant and this method also means that it doesn't really matter how much you water, is to take the plant out of its pot, if it's in an outer cache pot, so it's just in its pot with the drainage holes, and either put it in the sink and run a load of water through that pot, until it's well drained and all of the compost has had a chance to get moist or place it in a container of water to soak up as much water as it can in about an hour and then allow it to drain. By doing either of these methods you're letting the plant choose how much water it needs rather than dictating, oh yes it needs a mug because inevitably you'll get that slightly wrong and if you don't remove any excess water from the bottom of the pot then root rot ahoy, as you might say. So I would recommend taking this plant out of its environment and sticking it in the sink and doing the watering once a week that way. It's much better to water thoroughly and so that the compost is allowed to get wet and then to dry out than dribbling on a bit of water every now and again. Part of the reason for that is if you do that, then the plant starts to think that water is only available near the surface and will grow a lot of roots near the surface, which is not what you want. You want a nice root ball much lower down in the pot. And if you're not sure if your plant needs watering in the first place, go ahead and stick your finger right in there, right up to the end of your finger, depending on the size of the pot, and see what the potting mix is doing around the root ball if it's completely dry then yes it'll need water if it's still pretty damp at that level as opposed to being dry at the surface but still moist right in the root ball then watering is required and remember with sansevieria in the winter this plant can be much much drier and you might only be watering this once a month or so So watering practices are really vital to get right with plants like these, but it also makes a difference on the potting mix. So if you bought one of these from the shop, a snake plant that you just recently bought, it's probably planted in something which is much more absorbent than I'd recommend. So if you have got a freshly bought snake plant, just be really cautious on the watering and make sure that the plant is allowed to dry out thoroughly before you water again then a good soak then dry that's the kind of seesaw that these plants prefer and once you get it potted up into something a little bit more free draining then you can be a bit more generous with the water because you've sorted out the drainage issue so i hope that makes sense cape cod and if you've got a question for on the ledge drop me a line on the ledge at gmail.com That's all for this week's show. If you're a Patreon subscriber, there'll be an extra leaf with Philip going up in the next few days. Until next Friday then, keep the Asperdistra flying. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joydrops, an instrument the boy called Happy Day Girkana by Samuel Corwin, and the tracks Chiefs and Endeavour, both by Jazar. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons, see the show notes at janeperone.com for details.